Good morning. As a preacher, I'm supposed to ask it twice, I think. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I don't know why, but um, do you know who you are? It's a great song. It's our uh, our last talk in the series, and uh, in in preparing, I uh, I found some uh, some stuff I thought would be kind of a fitting because uh, today I want to talk to you about uh, loving and living in Jesus and what that means. And so uh, here's a couple funny stories I thought. Uh, First one is Mary was having a tough day. She stretched herself out on the couch to do a bit of what she thought would be a well-deserved complaining and self-pity. She moaned to her mom and brother, Nobody loves me. The whole world hates me. Her brother, busily occupied playing a game, hardly looked up at her and passed on this encouraging word. That's not true, Mary. Some people don't even know you. (laughs) Always leave it to a brother, right? Uh, Here's another one. A married couple was in a terrible accident where the woman's face was severely burned. The doctor told the husband that they couldn't graft any skin from her body because she was too skinny. So the husband offered to donate some of his own skin. However, the only skin on his body that the doctor felt was suitable would have to come from his buttocks. The husband and wife agreed that they would tell no one about where the skin came from and requested that the doctor also honor their secret. After all, this was a very delicate matter. After the surgery was completed, everyone was astounded at the woman's new beauty. She looked more beautiful than she'd ever had before. All her friends and relatives just went on and on about her youthful beauty. One day, she was alone with her husband and she was overcome with emotion at his sacrifice. She said, Dear, I just want you to thank you for everything you did for me. There is no way I could ever repay you. My darling, he replied, I get all the thanks I need every time I see your mother kiss you on the cheek. (laughs) One more. A mild-mannered man was tired of being bossed around by his wife, so he went to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist said he needed to build his self-esteem, and so he gave him a book on, on assertiveness, which he read on the way home. He had finished the book by the, time he read, by the time he reached his house. The man stormed into his house and walked up to his wife. Pointing a finger in her face, he said, From now on, I want you to know that I am the man of the house. And my word is law. I want you to prepare me a gourmet meal tonight. And when I'm finished eating my meal, I expect a sumptuous dessert afterwards. Then, after dinner, you're going to draw me my bath so I can relax. And when I finish my bath, who's going to dress me and comb my hair? The funeral director, the wife said. (laughs) As you can see, those are not really great examples of love. (laughs) Um, That's not what we want to do. We want to love people. We don't want to to cut them down. And um, so as we talk about this this really important theme of love, why why don't we open up the prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have the the market cornered on love. That love is who you are. And as we as we talk this morning, I pray that it would be something that comes from your heart and it will be more than just information. It will go from your heart directly into ours. And may it be in the transform how we think, what we believe, and even more importantly how we live so that others will see us and they'll see our works and they'll praise you because it will be you in us. So Father, if there's any error I say, may you 
quickly remove it from all their minds and only uh, leave the truth there so that we don't get caught up in any trouble. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've talked in this series about being a community of grace. And and my hope is as you guys move on to other topics uh, that you don't set this one aside and think, well, that was nice and, and we'll talk about something completely different now. Because really what we've been talking about and what I've hoped we talked about this, this last uh, few weeks in the summer is is foundational so that everything else that you move on to is really just another perspective of the same topic or maybe a slightly different application of the same topic. But my hope is you don't see them as distinct silos, but really outpourings of all the same thing. So my hope for this morning then is to return to where we start off with, which was asking the question, what is the purpose of the 21st century church? What is the, the reason we get together? And as we saw, uh, going back those many weeks is really summed up in 1 Timothy 1.5. A great verse. And if you haven't memorized it yet, then I encourage you to because it just really, I think, summarizes the whole point of all this. And it says in 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instructions, the goal of our commands, the goal of our teachings, really the goal of Sunday mornings when we get together is that we would love. Is that we would love other people. And the word there, love, is, is agape. It's, a, it's the, the word that is reserved to define who God is. It's the unconditional love. It's the love that He has given to you and I. And so our purpose now is to love others. And how is also in the verse. From a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. And so we want to come back to this verse and understand it. But I want you to see this, this aspect of love is so crucial. Jesus charged His disciples with a similar command. He says to them, A new command I give you, to love others as I have loved you. And when you think about that, when you really think about that, that's a pretty lofty command. I mean, He loved us perfectly. He loved us sacrificially. He loved us entirely. He didn't love you when you got your act together. He didn't stop loving you when you stopped having your act together. He loved you while you were yet sinners. And He demonstrates that love. He proves that love. And that love is never changing. It's not a fleeting kind of love. It's a, it's a consistent, rock-solid kind of love. Unfortunately, this world does not know what that love looks like, as we saw with our jokes earlier. We tend to have very self-centered, very me-focused sort of things. So with that man walking into the house demanding from his wife, it was what I can get out of it. And the wife looking at it was thinking, I'm not doing that. It's what can I get out of it. And so we have this mindset of me first and then maybe what I can give to other people. But what we want to be is a community of love. A community of people that are known for love. That are known for the, the way that we treat people. And this does not mean that we don't confront sin. It doesn't mean that we don't talk to people about their behavior. And it doesn't mean that there's no consequences to their behavior and their sin. There are absolutely consequences. And it's because we love people that we are going to talk to people, that we will confront people. But because we love you, we'll accept you regardless. We don't accept you based on what you do or don't do. We love you just because. And that's what's so important to all this. And so, looking at this verse again, 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith. 
I think the mistake we often make is we hear a verse that says this or a command that we're to love and then we, we immediately run out try to love people as best we can at this time. And we, we often make two mistakes in this part. One is we stop reading the rest of the verse so we don't know how. But I think another mistake is we don't really fully understand why we're to love. And so this morning I want to take a look at those two aspects. How we love, but also why we love. And so let's start with the why. Why do we love people? Is it, is it because we just, well, we've been commanded to. You know, it's, it's kind of like as parents. We tell our kids, you know, to go do something. And they ask why. And the answer is, because I told you. <laughs> there's no answer. There's no necessary answer. I just told you. And so go do it because that's what I asked you to do. Is that the case here with God? God says, go love other people. And the reason is, well, because I told you. Is that it? Well, to be clear, if it was, then that's good enough. Right? I mean, if he says jump, what do we do? Mm-hmm. We jump and then ask how high, right? I mean, we just we do what he says because he is God. But thankfully, he's given us much more than that. He's given us the reason why. And to do that, I want you to see in 1 John chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there to 1 John 4. And we're going to read from the Apostle John, someone who probably knew the love of God better than most. He's the one who is known as the one whom Jesus loved. And, and I think he had a, a, a real good understanding of that. And so 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 7. And he says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God is man- was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then jumping down to verse 19, we love because He first loved us. You know, I think sometimes we think we know about something and the reality is we haven't a clue. I mean, we, we can read, we can study, we can even think we are experts until the moment comes and then we realize we weren't ready for it at all. I, I had an experience like this when, uh, when I went down on a, a short-term mission trip about 10 years ago to Colombia in South America. Uh, for those that don't know, Colombia is, is a Latin country. It uh, was ruled by Spain and so as a result, their culture is Spanish. Um, and very different from our North American, mainly British culture. But probably the biggest difference there is they speak Spanish. And so in preparing to go on this trip for about six months, the, the group of us that were going, uh, once a week we'd get together and we would have a Bible study and then we would do some, some language lessons and we would study Spanish and try to understand, you know, how to say where's the bathroom, you know, the most important state phrase and, you know, what's our left and right and, and so forth, maybe our numbers and how to say hi and thank you. Uh, and we, we try to learn some Spanish, had, try to learn a little bit of the culture. And I'm lousy with, with languages. I mean, I have enough trouble with English, but I was, you know, I can learn things. So I was, I was learning all about this, this language and so forth. And I was one of the better ones that understood, at least so I thought, the language going down there. I thought I was ready. I thought I was prepared. And uh, that first night we were there, uh, the, the local church, they decided to have a, a welcome for us. And so they put on a big, you know, uh, celebration and, and 
some food there and, and some events planned. And they invited all the, the young people in the church to come. And so there were about, I'd say about 30, 40 people from their church. And there were, there were seven of us uh, from, from our church going down. And then we had a few other of the missionaries that we were supporting there as well. And I was overwhelmed by the culture shock. First night, I was, I was like a deer caught in headlights. I had no idea what was going on. I just shut down over everyone coming up to me and trying to communicate, trying to welcome me, but in this foreign language, in this foreign land, and I just had no idea what was going on. So I just shut down. I thought I knew. I thought I knew what to expect. And then I got there and I realized I was clueless. So I just shut down. I mean, I was smiling and nodding at things. I have no idea. They could have been saying, you're really dumb, aren't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> I had no idea. I was just... I mean, they probably could have spoken English to me at that point and I would have had no idea. I was just so overwhelmed by it because I had no clue. And I think that's often the case with the love of God. We can read about it. We sing songs about it. I mean, we even teach our kids songs about it. I mean, the most famous song, Jesus loves me, this I know. And yet, to be honest, I think we don't have a clue about it. We, we probably might just scratch the surface, but we really don't know. I think that's why Paul in Ephesians, he, he has this prayer for the church of Ephesus that they would be empowered with the power of God. That they would be empowered with the power of the Holy Spirit to do something miraculous. And you know what that miraculous thing was? Not signs and gifts and wonders and preaching and miracles, but to know the love of God. They would need all this great power just to know God's love. Because I don't think we really understand it. And I think the evidence of that is really what, what John's saying here. He says, we love because He first loved us. You see, the command isn't something just now you've got to go and do it because it's the right thing to do. The command is something that you can't help but do. It's the most natural, natural outflowing of what is in your heart and what's your desire. Because you are loved. We are loved by God, perfectly loved, completely loved. Loved right now for who you are today, not for who you will be one day. You are loved with a love that will never change. A love that cannot grow and cannot diminish. A love that you cannot control, you cannot change, you cannot improve upon, nor can you manipulate or even control or even deserve. It is the perfect love of the, of the Father that we are loved with. And it's because of this love we want to love other people. As it said in verse 19, we love because He loved us first. And so the reason that we're given this command is, is really because I am so overflowed with this love that God has given to me, I've got to unleash it on you. I've got to give it away. Otherwise, I'm going to explode. That's the idea behind all this. And so the reason why we love is because it's the most natural thing to do. And you know, we see this principle in action almost every day. You, you probably saw that maybe thinking back to, to you know, when you first fell in love with someone and your spouse maybe and, and, and you know, you're hanging out with your friends and all you could talk about was how wonderful this person was. I mean, you were probably so high off the ground, your feet didn't touch it for about a good couple months afterwards, right? I mean, you were so excited. You had a smile on your face that only could slap off. I mean, your friends were probably sick and tired of you because you had one thought on your mind. 
how wonderful this person is, how dreamy they are, how perfect they are. They didn't even see you didn't even see any of the flaws that you've now come to discover, right? I mean, this person was was perfect. Why? Because you were just in love with this person. And and so you immediately became kind to other people. Why? Well, because you were in love. And that's really the idea of what happens now with the love of Father. We are so smitten by that love that our feet don't touch the ground. That all we can talk about is His love and how wonderful He is. And then the natural result is we share that love to other people. Because why wouldn't we? If we were loved with a love we didn't deserve, why would we not love other people with that same love? And so it's a, it's a natural outflowing to other people. And often what happens is when we, when we lack love towards other people, it's because we lack the love of Father. Not that we don't have it and don't experience it, but we lack the understanding and the experience of it. You see, throughout our lives, God's love for you will never grow. Just your understanding and experience of it. And if you lack the, the love for other people, if you lack grace to other people, if you lack forgiveness towards other people, if you lack understanding towards other people, it's probably because you lack that same love that Father has towards you. And I don't share that with you as a, as a, as a con, uh, condemnation or, a, or a, a slight jab against you or anything like that, any negative form and such. Because how many people have a proper understanding of God's love? None of us do. And so it's just where you're at. So let us grow. Let us continue to, to understand that. Because again, the more you understand His perfect love towards you, then because of that love, you will love others. And, and don't stop with a book smart. Again, the great warning is, yep, I've heard this before, countless times. Slough it off and let's move on to something else. There's not much else. There's not much else in this world when you start to get a glimpse of God's love for you. And if you're tempted to slough it off, let me say that's evidence you have no clue how much He loves you. So let us start there. We love others because He first loved us, perfectly loved us, demonstrated that love towards us. And so now having received this love, having experienced this love, having a taste of this love, and we have now this great desire to love other people, the question is how? How do we do that? And so let us return now to, to 1 Timothy 1.5 to see the how. Because we, like we said earlier, this verse is so great because it gives us the what. And it also gives us the how. The what to do is to love other people. The how is from a pure heart. A good conscience. And a sincere faith. And so what I want to do is I want to examine these, these three parts of the how in some detail then. So the first one is, is from a pure heart. Much like today when Paul was talking about heart, he wasn't talking about the physical organ. He wasn't saying, you know, it all starts with the blood going through the organ of the heart and going to your brain and that gives you the strength and the energy to love people. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about having, you know, low cholesterol in your pure heart. He's talking about the innermost being of who you are. Much like we talk about heart. If someone is, has a lot of heart. It's, it's who they are. It's, the, it's their guts, really. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says we now love one another from a pure heart. It's not a command to get a pure heart. It's not something now you need to go and do to purify yourself. It's what you already have. 
You see, God has made your heart pure as a result of the cross. Whereas we saw a few weeks ago that yes, He forgave you, but also, in addition, something happened to you. Something dramatically happened to you. You were crucified with Him. He took your old, wretched, sinful, dirty heart, crucified it with Christ, buried it so it would never see the light of day again, and replaced it with a whole new heart. That was the first heart surgery ever performed in the world. 2,000 years ago on that cross. And now with this new heart, this pure heart that is good, that is 100% righteous, that is 100% holy, we love people from that. And you see, that's now the desire we have towards people. If your heart wasn't pure, you wouldn't want to love people. But because your heart is pure, it is the most natural thing to do. In fact, do you realize if you don't love people, you're a hypocrite? Because not, not because of what you're doing or not doing, because, but because it's a violation of who you are now. It's not about what I feel, it's about who I am. And who I am now is someone with a pure heart. I want to love people. And if I ever have a desire not to, that's not my desire. That's coming from the enemy. And I need to recognize that, cast that off, and rest in the fact that who I am is someone that wants to love. So I am someone with a pure heart. So the command that God has given to me is not difficult. It's, again, the most natural thing that I want to do. So I'm going to love from a pure heart and now I'm also going to love from a good conscience. Well, what does that mean? We, I think to understand this, I think we need to have an understanding of what love is. Too often I think we, we think of love in terms of what we see on, on Hallmark cards. And that begins to, to define how we see love. We see, you know, butterflies and happy faces and, and little poems like roses are red and violets are blue. You are so yummy. I want to eat you like stew. I mean, it's just, we, we think of it something, I don't know what that means. Um, but I'm sure it's on a card somewhere. I mean, it's, we, <laughs> we, uh, we, <laughs> there goes my career as a Hallmark card writer. But, but, um, we think of love in those forms sometimes. Something, something you know, light and fluffy and, and, and just smiley faces and so forth. But love is so much more than that. Love is strong. Love is powerful. And God is love. It's agape love. And I think a better definition is what Jesus said. Love is when you're willing to lay down your life for another person. And he wasn't just talking about his physical life there. He was literally saying love, love is when you lay down your soul for another person. Laying down what you want, what you think is right, what, what you know, makes you feel good in order for another person. Put another way, loving is doing what's in another person's best interest. And it's because I'm going to do what's in another person's best interest that I will talk to you when you have some issues. Not to condemn you, not to beat you up, not even to just get you changed so you stop doing the behavior, but because you're struggling. And out of my love, I don't want to see you struggle anymore. Out of my love, I want you to experience all that God has for you. So out of my love, I'm going to talk to you about sin. It's one of the hardest things I'll ever do, but because I love you, I will. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't talk to you about it. Because I love you, I'll accept you anyways. I'll accept it even if you don't want to change. There's consequences to that kind of choice, but I'll still love you anyways because that love is never going to change. That love is powerful. 
And you see, with that love, it's not about me anymore. It's about the other person. Which is why we have to start with understanding God's love. You see, we are, we are just you know, programmed to be self-centered. And so I spend so much time hoping you understand that God loves you because until you know that you are loved, until you know you are lovable, guess what you're going to do? You're going to run around trying to become loved and try and become lovable. And you'll be so focused on you, you won't have time for anyone else. You'll just manipulate and use other people to fill your empty cup. And that's not the way. So I want you to know, and I spend so much time with people, getting them to see they are loved. The answer forever, am I loved, has been given. Yes, 100%, perfectly by the love of Father. You are loved. That issue is settled. Can we get on to maturity now? Can we move on to loving other people? Because you are loved. And move on and, and grow now. And that's what a good conscience is now. You see, the good conscience is I'm okay. I can now love you unconditionally. I can love you with a pure love. Not a love that's toxic. A toxic love is a love that loves people in order to get something out of them. It's a love that manipulates people. It's a love that tries to change and, and, and fix you so that I'm okay. But a good conscience says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And what's really difficult about that is it's not a one-time act. It's a, it's a many, many, many times over act. The disciples got a glimpse of that when they asked Jesus, how many times do we forgive somebody? Is it seven times? That's, that's a lot. I mean, by seven times, he's really about to learn his lesson. I mean, people say, you know, you have to repeat something three times for them to get it. So seven, that's two times plus one. They get a bonus. They've, they've had lots of time, right? And what was Jesus' answer? A lot more. Seventy times seven. I don't think he meant 490. I think he meant you just keep loving and forgiving them. And so that's hard to lay down your life for another person in that way. But that's what's so good about it. That's what makes this conscience so pure and clean. And so we love one another with this pure heart, this new heart that God's given to us, with a, with a good conscience, something that is innocent and self-sacrificing for another person. It's selfless. And then the last one, which is probably the most important, is we love with a sincere faith. And I say why this one's the, probably the most important because without it, it simply cannot happen. You see, you can have all the great intentions, all the great desires to love people and, and understanding you're righteous and God loves you, but if you try to go on love in your own strength apart from God, guess how far that one's going to go? About two feet and that's about it. It's not going to last very long. Sure, it may look good for a while and, and, and it will have you know, a lot of wonderful sentiment in there, but eventually when people stop re replying or they reject your love or it's not working the way you thought it was, your love will quickly dry up. Because your love in and of itself is as deep as a paper bag for some and others maybe deep as, I don't know, a bathtub, but it simply does not compare to the love of Christ. And so what we need to do now is we need to live with a sincere faith, trusting in Jesus Christ to live in and through us. You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 rightly said that love is the greatest because that's the end goal. And if we're not doing that, then it's forget it. But it's all made possible through His 
His life living through us as we trust in Him. In Galatians 5, 6, it says, the only thing that matters is faith working itself out to love people. But it takes faith to do that. It's that sincere trusting and depending upon Jesus Christ to live His life through us. Let me share some verses with you that that I think stress this. Colossians 2 and verse 6. This is one of those great verses, I think, that, that is so much packed up in there, but we often just, just skip right over it. Colossians 2 and verse 6, Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Think about it. How were you and I saved? How did we receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Was it through our hard work and determined efforts? Was it through our dedication and our, our striving and our re- re- repeated good works and acts? Was it based on what we do or didn't do? How did you and I receive Christ Jesus as Lord? It was by faith. It was trusting in Jesus Christ to do all the work on our behalf and us receiving it as a gift. Amen? Amen. So just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, by faith and depending upon Him, so walk in Him. In the exact same way, continue to live in Him, as one translation says. How? By faith. Depending upon Him to now do what you cannot do yourself. Depending upon Him to do 100% of the work as we receive it by faith. That doesn't mean that we're sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. Because where does He now reside? In us. And so if He's wanting to do something, He's going to do it through us. Meaning, you have an active part. He's going to, he's going to involve you. That's, the, that's the, probably one of the foolish things that God did was involving you and I. Because he just, you know, all kinds of mistakes now as a result of that. But he chose to because he wants to involve us. He loves us. He wants us to be involved in relationship with us. And so, despite the fact that we make more work for him and we probably make more mess than good, he says, I choose to work for you. I could do it all by myself, but I don't want to. I choose to work for you. Will you let me now? Will you trust me to do so? Will you look to me and live by faith in my power and my strength? Another great verse is in the Old Testament is Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I often think of Proverbs 3 and 5 and 6 is, is sort of the Old Testament version of Colossians 2 and 6. It's probably the most famous proverb in all the book of Proverbs. And here, the writer says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. What a great verse. Do not trust in yourself. Don't trust in your own abilities. Don't trust in your strengths. Don't trust in your talents. Don't trust in your gifts. Don't trust in your, your understanding of the situation. Don't rely upon yourself. Instead, trust in the Lord. Trust in the only one that can do it. Trust with Him with everything you got, with your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Rely and trust upon Him. And everything you do, acknowledge Him as being present in the situation. Whatever you're up to, wherever you're going, whatever you're, you're, you're uh, involved in, acknowledge that He is presently there and wanting to do it through you. And guess what? He will do it. He will bring it to pass. He will make it happen. 
And that doesn't mean life will suddenly be easy, but He will give you the strength. He will give you the grace. He will give you the power to accomplish what He has set out beforehand. Or maybe, to me, the best verse that describes the Christian life in terms of a practical day-to-day activity is Galatians 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ now lives in me. And the life that I live today, I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I have been crucified with Christ. The old me, that old dirty rotten heart was crucified with Christ and it's gone. It no longer lives. But now God Himself, Christ Almighty, lives in me. I am now Christ in wrath. He resides. He abides in me. And what do I do today? What's my part? What role do I play? I live by faith. The life I live today, the life I am living right now this morning as I am up here before you guys, I am living by faith. I am trusting God. You don't want to hear from me. I don't want to hear from me. So I'm trusting Jesus to live right now and to speak. The life I live right now, I live by faith in the Son of God, the One who loved me. And that's what's so incredible. The One that's all-powerful, the One that's trustworthy, He also loves me. It's going to come through for me. The question is, will I trust Him? And when you read through the Bible, I, I want you, I hope you see one day that God from the Old Testament, in the Gospels, in the Epistles, all He's doing time and time again is He's looking for a group of people, a group of men and women that says, I trust You. I trust You, God. I trust You implicitly. I trust You with my life. I trust You with my loved ones. I trust You with my past. I trust You with my present. I trust You with my future. I trust You, God. It's the hardest thing for you and I to do. But it's the only thing He asks us of. Will you and I trust Him? Will we trust Him to take care of the ones we love? Will we trust Him to take care of our future? Will we trust Him to live through us now? Will we trust Him to love through us? Will we trust Him to become a community of grace and not a community of good intentions? Will we trust Him to live? And it's not a one-time deal. It's not a, well, I did that yesterday. Isn't that going to last me three days or four days or a week? No. It lasts as long as the moment. It lasts for as long as today, right now. And I've got to trust Him ongoing, moment by moment by moment. And if I don't, if I don't trust, if I don't abide apart from Him, how much can I do? Nothing. Zilch. Nada. That's Spanish, by the way. You, I learned that bit. You, you can't do anything apart from Him. And so we've got to trust Him. So, what does that look like? I mean, people ask me all the time, what do I do in this situation? What do I do there? And you know what? I, I don't have a direct answer for you. I never do because I'm not the one to give you the answer. What I do and I try to do with people is I try to give them options. I try to show them what, what would be biblical and righteous to do and I give them a number of options and then I say, now go talk to Father and ask Him what He wants to do. And maybe there's something I missed and He'll tell you what to do. But ultimately, it's going to Him in that moment and asking Him what He wants to accomplish and then letting Him bring it to pass. Because that's what He wants. Remember, it's about that relationship. It's about that trusting Him. Let me, let me give you an illustration with, um, with my wife and I. Um, me, my role, I am, 
I am a counselor. I'm a biblical counselor. I am considered by some to be a man of God. You have to say it that way, a man of God. It sounds more more respectful. I, I teach people. I counsel people from the Word of God. I lead people to Christ. That's my job. My, I change people's hearts is what I do. My wife, she changes diapers. She looks after kids. That's her role. So me, I get up in the morning and I get up first and I, I maybe make breakfast so I can prove how, how to everyone how wonderful of a father and husband I am. And I make breakfast for everyone. And then I, I, I say goodbye to my family and I go off to work and I, I meet with a young man who struggles with addiction. And so I share with him the cross and his eyes are open to his death with Christ and that he is free and, and no longer uh, under the power of sin and he walks out a new man, completely free. Then I meet with a, a couple who is, who is having such marital strife they're ready to kill one another, but they don't even know the Lord. And so I, I lead them to Christ for salvation and they're now saved. And I do all that before lunch. After lunch, I begin to work and I study the Word of God. I, I read commentaries to understand just a few phrases of God's Word so I can get ready to teach and, and, and speak to groups of people. When I get an emergency phone call from somebody who's, who just discovered that her, her husband is, is uh, cheating on her and ready to leave, and so I meet with her and counsel her and give her a sense of hope that God's care and love will be sufficient for her and she walks out with hope. And then I go home and I meet my family. My wife, her day has been something like this. She woke up and she talked to Jesus about the day that she had before her. And she got ready for the day over, over breakfast, was, was, was just sitting there with our girls and talking to them. And she was talking to Jesus about how best to explain addition to our, to our oldest daughter, to Hannah. And then while changing face diaper, trusting God to do that, she was also asking Father about what they should have for dinner or for lunch and then also dinner and then trusted Jesus to go and make dinner through her that day. Now I come home and I say, how was your day? Well, never mind. Let me tell you about my day. And I tell her about all that I did. But my wife tells me all about what Father did through her. Who had the more productive day? I mean, I, I counseled people. I set someone free from the addiction. I led two people to Christ. I gave someone hope in, in the midst of struggle. And I studied the Word of God. My wife, she changed some diapers, made some meals, and taught math. Who did more? My wife, hands down. I did nothing. Because I did it all on my own strength. Sure, it looked good. Wonderful stuff. Can't imagine, you know, leading people to Christ. I don't know what's greater than that. But I did it all on my own strength. And so it's worthless. Wood, hay, and stubble to be burnt up and destroyed. But my wife, who trusted Jesus, who relied upon Him throughout the day and let Him live through her to my girls, to anyone else that might have come, just changing diapers. That's the precious jewels because Jesus did that. And that's what God's looking for now. So how do we live this, this new life? How do we love other people? We do it in complete and total dependence upon Father. We trust Him to do it through us. We ask Him. We talk to Him. And I don't mean talk to, at Him. We talk with Him. There's a conversation. I have people say to me, I talk, with, well, I talk to God all the time. Right off the bat, I know that's a lie. Nobody talks to God all the time. You may talk to Him a lot, but you don't talk to Him all the time. 
So we talked to him a lot. And I said, okay, that's good. You talked to him a lot. Good. But then my, often my next question is, and what has he said to you? And you know what? I get this deer in the headlights look. Now I know what I look like in Colombia. Because they, they don't know. They're just kind of, um, well, I, I talk to him, but I don't hear from him. And it's supposed to be a two-way conversation. And again, that's not something that happens overnight. That's something that's developed over a lifetime. When I first began to talk with God, I didn't understand a lot what He was saying to me. But I understand His voice better today than I did many years ago. And I look forward to five months and five years and 20 years and God willing, 50 years from now that I'll understand His voice even more. But I'll tell you what, I learn far more from what He says to me than when I say to Him. And so when I say talk with God, I probably mean more listen to God. Listen to what He's wanting to do. Listen to how He wants to say things. When He wants to say things. And how He's going to bring things to pass. Listen to Him. And then trust Him to do it. Trust Him to live through us. And when we do that, the result is we will naturally love other people. And people will see that love. They might mistake it for you, But the reality is they're seeing Jesus in you. And they will thank our Father for you. And as a community of grace, people will be attracted to this church. May that be the reputation of LifeSpring. That it is a group of people that is known for loving people and leading them to Jesus. That is at the heart of it, Jesus Christ and the cross. And the result of that, loving other people. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this incredible Gospel, this good news of the fact that You love us. You love us completely. And may, as a result of that love, may we love other people with that same love. May we do that from this new heart that You've given to us on the cross. May we do it with a good conscience, unselfish love, a pure love towards other people where I give even if I don't get anything in return. And may I do that as I trust You because that's the only way to do it. Relying upon You to bring to pass what only You can do. So, Father, may You bless life spring as they continue on this journey of being a community of grace. May they not get trapped up in playing church and just be the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.